Welcome to How for Change. This is the global speaker series where we talk to individuals from all walks of life about how they harness the power of storytelling for positive impact. Hi, I'm Jacques Telemac, your LA host. My name is Leisha Coleman. I'm your New York City host. Hi, my name's Ada Parry. Welcome to London. Thanks for coming. How for Change coming to you from Noya Houses in Hollywood. Uh, our guest today is the incredible Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Camp Capital. Um, they have a very specific focus, and I'm going to let her tell you all about that. But I just want to say first, you know, as I was studying up on you, checking you out, um, I was impressed by many things. Uh, but one of, one of the things I was really impressed by is your storytelling. You're such a great storyteller. Thank you. And um, so I'm just going to ask you to tell your story as briefly as you can. Feel free, though, to take those little side roads that you normally take, because those are really <laughs> interesting stories. Because you've done everything. And your road from Mississippi to Silicon Valley is highly unlikely. Right. But you made it happen. So you set me up for, disappoint, for disappointing everyone. But hi. <laughs> hi, Oops. everyone. I think you guys really uh, sweet. And um, I, I'm a little... Um, exhausted from the week, so don't take my low energy to mean anything else but that. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm the founder of Backstage Capital and Backstage, a uh, co-founder of Backstage Studio. And yeah, I, I was born in Miss, Mississippi, as you said. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, where I just flew in from last night. I live, I can see my apartment from here. I live there. Really? <laughs> wow. I can see it, I, actually the balcony. All right, I'm watching you. Um, and, you know, five years ago, I was on food stamps. So to be able to, it's kind of kind of trippy to be able to see my apartment from here. Yeah. Um, and I actually, when I moved in just in March, I looked from the view and I realized I was looking at the view of where I used to walk back and forth, like during the day when I was waiting on my friend to come home from work where I was sleeping on her couch and didn't have any money, so I'd go into the Starbucks behind us and l hope they wouldn't, you know, kick me out after eight hours of, of you know, getting one, one item. So I'd look at that every day. Um, yeah, so, th it's a longer story. So yeah, I'm happy tell, to tell us about Backstage Capital, and then sure. we'll work back from there. Sure. So Backstage Capital is a, is a boutique venture fund and firm. We have a few funds. Um, so we invest in underrepresented underestimated founders. So you've probably heard that term before of underrepresented. We call them underestimated. And many people in this uh, room are, are underestimated themselves. We have two founders that are here. Can you raise your hands if you're around? I know Melanie's here. It's, yes. We have two founders who are in our, uh, we're just went through our accelerator, actually, who we'll, you'll hear from later. Um, and so I was growing up in, I mean, I was in, in, da in uh, Houston, Texas, and I started noticing that um, just as from, from the outside, and we'll talk more about what the outside meant, but I, I noticed that there was this ridiculous disparity between the amount of money that was going to um, straight white men and everyone else, and it didn't make any sense, like in venture and in tech, and it didn't make any sense to me, any logical sense to me, so I said, started writing about it, started tweeting about it. I yell at many people on Twitter. still do today. Uh, and 
people were talking about it and, and sort of uh, acknowledging it, but it was like this hushed secret. And I was told you should be quiet about it. You shouldn't talk about that. And so I said, well, people probably won't take me as seriously until I can write a check. And even though I'm on food stamps and sometimes homeless, I have to figure out a way to have capital so that I can write the check and be in the room and, and instead of telling people what they should do, show them what they could do. So that's when I set out and I raised a few million dollars, 25, 50, 100K at a time, um, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 no's for every one yes. It took three years to get the first check. Um, but I, I was seeing these founders, they were all, they were surrounding me just like in this room, like they, they were there. I wasn't creating anything. I wasn't, um, cr you know, creating something. They were there and I just wanted to put a spotlight on them. And so that, that was a driving force. And, and how did, how did you get to the point where that became an awareness for you? Like, what were you doing that led you yeah. to? Well, I have had a lot of different gigs, um, the, the one that was right before being a, a venture capitalist was I was a production coordinator and tour manager for, for different musicians. So depending on their level, um, w that would kind of say where I was. So for like indie artists, I was a tour manager. I first um, start, I started that career in my early 20s by booking a, a uh, summer tour for a Norwegian pop punk band called Golden Boy, As You Do. Uh, while I was working at a bank doing uh, overnight 10 key by touch. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And uh, I taught myself how to book a tour without before Google and all that. And kind of there's a lot in between, but um, ended or the last thing I did was Will I Am um, as a production coordinator for his Wembley Stadium gig. So kind of went from not knowing uh, what the jargon was and not having any connections to working with Will for a minute. And how did that lead you to what's going on in Silicon Valley? Like, Yeah, know. so it was in 2012-ish. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not the... I was starting to notice what start... Like, startups, like Airbnb. I applied for Airbnb, for instance, to be a customer service agent and make $12 an hour. And I still remember that whole process, and I didn't get the job and I don't know why I want to ask them. <laughs> but years later, I hired an Airbnb executive to work for me, so. Full circle. It was really cool. But I really uh, want to know why I didn't get the gig. Uh, but I understood that what Airbnb was, and then as I under when I started seeing people um, making investments, like Troy Carter, who used to be Gaga's manager, and Scooter Braun, who is Justin Bieber's manager, and now you've heard about him probably because of um, Taylor Swift's recent um, um, message to him. And uh, Ellen and Guy Siri, who was uh, Madonna's manager and U2's manager, they were all making these investments in, in a place called Silicon Valley. And I wanted to know why people, and like Ellen, like Ellen, I'm, I'm really gay, so like she's the mothership. So whatever she's doing, I'm gonna figure that out. But I, I really was paying attention behind the scenes, like what is she doing? What, like not what is she saying or talking about? What is she doing, right? And it was interesting to me. I wondered why they were all flocking to this place and why they were making these small investments. And so I just, out of curiosity, looked it up. And that's when I was like, oh. 
okay, I've been, it's like coming out for the second time. Like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a startup founder. This is what I've been doing since I was in the third grade. I've been building things that other people didn't quite understand. And I have a high risk tolerance. And I've never really had insurance. And everyone else, I feel alien to everyone else around me. But there's this place or there's this group of people across the country who are all themselves feeling the same way. And there's, there's like a, a system around it. And that became really interesting as an opportunity. And then over time, like a few months of going in kind of like the world is our oyster, this is really interesting, that's when I started seeing this weird kind of uh, vibe that would happen when I was trying to make introductions to founders, to investors, to angel investors, to VCs. And it was just like clockwork. It was like if the, if the funding deck, if the proposal had white people and the team page, they would get the follow-up um, interview with the, with the investor no matter what they were doing, and I say white, uh, mostly white men, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what they were working on, no matter what traction they had, what background they had, they would get the, it would feel safe to the investor in my opinion. But if it was anything else, like I would send things all the time from different people, just to try to make uh, introductions and be, be nice. And I would send things and everyone would, like all, time and time again, the investors would write back and say, oh, I don't get the market. I don't understand this. And I'm like, and there was one um, that I've, you know, apologies if you've heard this one before, but it still boggles my mind. There was um, a, found, a black woman founder from the South who was uh, creating a different way to uh, have sound and, and cell phones. Mm -hmm. So she was like from the ground up building this new way of, of hearing sound, basically. And more than one investor wrote to me and said, and she had traction. She had raised grants and she had pilots. So she had tra more traction than most. And the, more than one wrote back and said, I don't get the market, which was like their code. And I finally was so frustrated, I wrote back and I said, okay, the market is people who can hear <laughs> and also people who cannot hear because she's also working on this same technology for hearing aids. So the market is people, if you can hear and if you cannot hear, that's the market. And so when you, have, when you have that evidence in front of you over and over again of someone using coded language to say that they're, they're just not gonna be able to have a beer with this person and that's really what's yeah. break, you know, the, the, the difference, it, it kind of like, you know, it puts a little f fire under you. So your activism grew out of, if you don't mind me calling it activism, because I know no, it's... No, I absolutely call it activism. Yeah. This is my activism. Yeah, it grew out of what you discovered when you were curious about this world. Like, you just yeah, sort of dove in. Yeah, at first it was And you just taught yourself, like, yes. how the world works and where to get money and all that stuff? Yeah, I, I did, it like, a homeschooled, um, like, MBA, basically. I had yeah. a whiteboard. I had a blow-up bed. It was in Pearland, Texas. I had a whiteboard. I bought... Uh, index cards, mm -hmm. and then I just uh, studied every day, and I taught myself cap tables, and I taught myself who the players were, um, and a lot of the the um, index cards became investors eventually. Wow! Yeah. 
and how did you make these how did you broach the these investors how did you make the you know the, the connections first. and allow them to did you first of all i want to say sure. that you know there's a lot of stories in your story. Yes. And those were part of what you brought to your potential investors, correct? Like in your activism, you know, you live this life, you see it all, you see what's going on and, and you represent it. And was that part of the stories that you told to investors to get yeah. them interested? Yeah, absolutely. And it it evolved over time and it was individualized. So there was no one route to someone. What was always through and through was the authenticity of it because you know the, like most people's grandmas said you can't you have less to remember if you if you don't lie right so it was always just um it was it was so blatant to me what we're talking about it was just so evident and so it evolved from the earliest emails that i sent to people i i had to look them up for um, a series that i was in and they're cringeworthy because they're just like the longest, you know, emails in the world, and they're telling your life story. But people do we, we do that because we think we have that one shot. Yeah. And so it started off with, "This is my story, and this is how I'm going to help you." And you'll, you'd be crazy not to hear me. But then it, it really evolved more and more as I worked more with founders. It's this is their story. This is the story of so many people that you're overlooking and it's not um, merely for you to feel better about yourself and help somebody out you're going to miss out because right now with all the wins that we're having with you know when I say we underrepresented founders are having it's sort of it's easy to forget that five years ago um, people weren't even like they were whispering you know how some people whisper certain racist like it's a bad word like <laughs> you know like certain people uh, whisper um, they were like whispering they're like black and black guy over there it's okay gay <laughs> but they were really doing that in like like physically literally doing that when I would talk to people and now it's just like you know people are learning like VCs I know are like white men are learning, you know, all the, you know, how do we, <laughs> they're like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but before it's like they could, we wouldn't even say it, but they're understanding now that they, that's their way of thinking they're getting in. So is this, is there like a lot of pressure to like, because in the end, these uh, founders that you're supporting, they, they have, the companies have to be successful. You know, and so like that's the bottom line. And do you feel yeah. a you know, do you feel an extra pressure because you're sort of representing an ideal and it's a form of activism, what you're doing, and you're trying to show them that these people are underestimated. Yeah, I don't feel a pressure that's from the outside, because I don't I don't know if every every company has to succeed. What I think is that we need to be viewed equally. And so I think, I don't know the current numbers, people say different numbers, but I think some, something between 50 and 80% of all companies fail, don't make it to year five. And so when I look at, um, when I'm, I'm like in the trenches, I'm looking at companies and saying, some of them are not gonna make it, but that's normal. 
So I want to more so than have this, this, this double standard or this extra pressure, it's more so normalizing what it is and kind of speaking up for that. So I don't feel the pressure anymore. I think maybe I took it on at some point, but um, I, yeah, like, like I said in the Fast Company article, they can ship it to me, but I don't receive it. I don't sign for it. I just don't um, subscribe to the double standards. Like uh, one of our investors early on, and I set him straight, but he told me that like if you venture capital funds, if we if you do three x a venture capital fund, you're doing better than eighty five percent of all venture capital. He told me that I would have to ten x uh, all of my funds, not even the ones he's not in, or I would be considered a failure because I was so loud about what we're doing. And when he said that, it was so ridiculous that I stopped listening to that outside noise. Because I said, oh, there's, there are just people who no matter what the outcome is are going to have a problem with it, are, going to have, are wanting us not to do well. So every single day that we exist is a triumph. And I take it. All these days, we've already won. The fact that our founders are here, we're already winning. So I take it. So founders is the word you use for the, the people that start the companies. Yes, we call them headliners, actually. Headliners. At our, at our they're the stars. Yes. Um, and they're the, the entrepreneurial energy behind whatever company. How do you decide what you're going to invest in? What do you, you know, what are the, what are the, I know that you have a specific focus, but yeah, beyond I mean, that. It's, like, it's a lot of things. It's, it's almost boring because it's like most venture funds. Like we're looking at, we're looking at what other funds are looking at, other investors are looking at. We, we want to see what you know, what your traction is. I guess we're just looking at it from a different lens. So we can, everyone at, at Backstage who is an investor, and it's not just me, it's a group, um, we can kind of see certain signals to, to make us dream with you and believe that you can turn that into something. And it doesn't necessarily come from the, the status quo of what school you went to or um, how much money you've already raised or what you look like, or et cetera, or who you know, or how you got to us. All of those things that are pretty standard, um, we can it, like bypass that. And then, in, and then it just strips down to all the other stuff, which is like, what are you working on? Why are you the person to, to make this work? What, um, what's the potential if it does work? Um, and for me personally, I'm uh, more and more as I as I both get older and also see more companies, which I've seen thousands at this point. I'm more and more fixated on fixated on people who are doing things that are life changing and world changing, rather than just moving the needle a little bit, making things a little bit more comfortable. And I would have, you know, probably. Done, done more of that earlier on. It's not to say that those are bad companies, because I think anything that helps your quality of life, I consider under that category of life changing. But um, you know, the, and no offense to anyone who is running a scooter company, but the the sixth scooter company that I see, you know, Scoot. And, well, actually, here's the thing. I have a hack. I'm going to start a scooter company. I'm going to raise like hundred million dollars in a week. And I'm going to take the $100 million on the scooter 
and give it to underrepresented founders. Excellent idea. <laughs> so, um, so I have to ask you, you know, you're telling a lot of stories. First of all, I'm curious, how much support do you give beyond uh, the money that you give to founders? Like, wh wh where does your involvement, it doesn't end there, I'm sure. It does not end, that's why I'm exhausted. <laughs> it doesn't end. Um, there's not a day that goes by where I personally don't talk to at least one of our founders and help them through something. Um, whether that's strategy of fundraising or getting that client or clients or their press, marketing, design, um, helping them through personal things. That's me personally. And then we have a team of 25 people in two countries that pretty much do the same. I come in um, more and more because our portfolio, I should have mentioned this earlier, our portfolio is at about 130 now. So 130 companies and fewer than four years, it's a lot to take on, but um, I, I now more and more come in when it's about closing closing deals. And and I'm, I'm like, I'm the closer, and I'm also sort of the, like, of all of your investors, I'm not gonna freak out that something's wrong. And I think that's under, like, that's undervalued, because um, that can mean the difference for some people of staying in business or not, if they feel like they're, if they feel internally like they're failing, that might get in their head, but I, I, I'm there, there. And then, and just in general, we have this amazing platform. We have a weekly newsletter that uh, we send out to our portfolio that has a lot of opportunities, and a lot of people have raised money off of that or met met their CFO off of it or et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's a lot of platform, similar to what you might get at Andreessen Horowitz or First Round Capital. So... How for Change is about storytelling for positive change. Um, so I have to ask you what, what storytelling means to you, because you're always telling stories. You're telling your story is part of Backstage Capital, and you're telling stories to investors to get them involved, and you're telling the story of the various companies that you're representing through the founders. What is, you know, and you're a great storyteller. Thank you. Um, what does storytelling mean to me? I. I mean, I think it's just being 100% authentically yourself. And um, and it's not always easy to do that or to project that and be good with that. But um, that's what I think storytelling is. And that that's where I've, any sort of uh, good things that have happened in the last six years have been through honest storytelling. And I say you should be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. And, and when I say that, I really am talking about telling your story um, and not being afraid that some people are not gonna like it or that it's gonna turn some people off or it's gonna, you may go through a desert for years like I did, for years a desert and get no's after no after no. But my story never changed. And when people ask me the question, they ask me six, years ago, they ask me why I'm doing it or, or you know, what do I see in these founders? It's the exact same thing. And people who matter to you, um, who matter in your, in your life and in your journey, they're going to remember that consistency. Now, your life can change and things can evolve and your thinking and all of that, but that core of who you are and how you express yourself, um, I think that's one of the, and as a filmmaker, you know this, like, it's probably one of the 
greatest things you can do for yourself is learn how to articulate who you are and because that's when you get what you what you're searching for yeah i mean your story to me is just incredible i mean how unique are you in the silicon valley landscape that's not a rhetorical question no i mean totes, i just totes unique yeah. yeah well yeah i mean there are definitely black women investors that's one thing that i try to make sure people get it's not like I'm the, you may have only heard of me because you're not in the field, but like there definitely we exist. But I think um, I don't know anyone who has built a fund like I have, like built it from nothing. And even like at a negative, I built it from a negative, to be honest. Most people I know who have funds have had something kind of, they're a spin out from another fund or they, they have a networker operator at a, at a company that did well um, no matter what their profile is that's usually where they're coming from so I don't know many who built it that I know there's like this one dude who I know who was homeless and you know we talk about privilege and what his privilege was even in that situation so yeah I think um, that is unique probably and then the fact that um, I, I get pitched a lot of companies that have straight white men as the only founding team. And because that is not our discipline, that is not our focus, no matter how well they're doing, I pass. And I, so I think the fact that our discipline is what it is, is, is unique. Absolutely. Um, so how important, because you're dealing with a lot of people when you're out raising money who don't share the same perspective and issues that you do? Like, how important is it for uh, people to be personally affected by, you know, the issues that they choose to take on? Like, and how do you get those people to see your world and see the importance of it and how it benefits them? I try to be inclusive as possible because my ideal world is not any one thing. Like, my, I'm, a, I'm an idealist, and it's, it's I mean, to a weird like I really just want you know it to be a Disney movie where all well maybe not a Disney movie, but you know what I mean where we're all sort of getting along and everything is good so I try to be as inclusive as possible even when I am yelling at white men on Twitter which I have to do quite often just stop doing that stuff and I won't have to do it um, even when I'm doing that I, I'm trying to be inclusive because I think it, all of the pieces matter and none of us are going to get to where I would like to go without the other perspective. At the same time, I don't spend a lot of energy anymore begging people to get me. And I, I, it's, you learn more and more as you grow what your value is. And when you know that, you don't spend a lot of time trying to yell at someone about what your value is. They either see it or they don't. And, um, so I think it's important. At part of your, the first part of your question is: is important to like be personally attached to what you're fighting for? Sure, I think absolutely. For me, it has been, and I think um, it goes back to being authentic and genuine with your story. Um, I think it has. It, it you don't. You can be an ally, though. I think allyship is really wonderful. You don't have to be a black woman to necessarily understand. I mean, to un necessarily help 
uh, a cause for black women, or even not a cause, but just like a, a movement, right? Um, but I think, you know, an example of using it the wrong way is um, there are a lot of people, for instance, raising funds for opportuni opportunity zones, and they just, they just raise those funds because they know they can, and they, they've never been really touched by anything there, and it's just like a opportunistic play for them. So I don't really like that kind of stuff, but I think allyship is wonderful. You do say no to people who, people come with you with money, investors, and you say no to them. Some of them, not all of them. I wouldn't be here if I said no to all of them. <laughs> of course, but who are the ones you say no to? I'm curious. Uh, is he here? He probably has a, <laughs> Peter Thiel, I know he lives here now. Does he have a place around here? Probably lives next door to me up there. It's like, I don't see you. Um, Peter Till, no offense again if anyone's related. It's his fault, so talk to him about it. Um, but I did, yeah, I turned down money. I didn't turn down money from him because he did not offer me money. I would love to see that day because I don't think it would ever happen. Um, but some he put money, he put like a million dollars additional money behind Trump in October 2017. It actually happened earlier than that, but he announced it. He leaked it the day after the tapes came out from Access Hollywood. And it was just like, I had had enough of that. And so someone associated with him in a certain way, who w will remain anonymous because that's how they started out, um, they had it wasn't. It wasn't like I was uh, excited to turn it down. You know, it was like I, I, I would have liked to have had that relationship, but I just couldn't see myself. It kind of had to have a little forethought of, and now we see even more what this man is. So, yeah, I turned that down, and yeah, I'm happy. It's very much about being yourself. It was being myself, and and honestly, I mean, the amount of money was it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars into a one million dollar fund at the time, which would have saved the day and I I was just like when okay so I'm really gonna do this okay yeah and I was like having the little but it was like two angels it wasn't that it wasn't that hard to have the conversation I was like you know what I got this far I'm not gonna if I say yes to this what more am I gonna have to say yes to that I don't really believe in if this is what this is why am I doing it so it was really um it was a complex decision and an easy answer so you went from, you know, homeless to, you know, VC, you know, fund, a, a significant one, because you got a new one, right? That's a pretty we're, big. We're raising that one, yeah. You're raising that's, that, yeah. That's a whole other can yeah. of worms, but yes. Um, raised a few million already. Yeah. In a very short period of time. And it's, uh, it's remarkable. Um, so I'm just curious what you would say to other people who are struggling to, you know, express themselves, be heard, you know, take a stand, be active. Um, you know, what do you say to them? Uh, I mean, I can only go by my experience and I, you know, can tell you just straight up, I'm, I'm not so far removed from it. I'm, first of all, I struggle all the time. We still struggle. It's a, it's a uphill climb to, to be who we are in, in this industry and have the, the, the limited resources that we have and do the, the bold ideas and the bold um, execution that we try to do and that we accomplish most times. Um, so I'm, I'm in it there, but I'm also, so I'm in it there as like a founder, right? I feel that founder everyday thing, but also I'm not so far removed. 
that I don't have a visceral reaction to seeing that building right there or to seeing the place where I used to walk around. It's, it's right here. And um, I, I said before, like, when I was, people asked me, like, because I used to, like, live at the airport. Basically. I lived at San Francisco airport for a while. And they was like, well, how did you do that? I was, like, 34 when I was doing that. So it was, like, you know, should have had some insurance, should have had my butt at home, but there was no home. And so they were like, how did you keep going? And that's so. And I just said, you know, a year prior to that, in, when I, in 2014, when I decided to go really all in, I closed my eyes and I imagined the world without this fund in my mind called Backstage Capital that did the thing that I knew what one, one day could do. And I imagined that world without the thing I was working on. And I said, if I can say it's okay that the world, that, that this doesn't exist in that world five years from now, then I can let, leave it alone. I can let it go. And when I closed my eyes and I imagined it, it hurt. It was painful to imagine it not existing. And that's when I knew that backstage in whatever form had to exist with or without me. And when you, when you know something has to exist, whether you're there or not, when it finally exists, that's when you know you have to go for it. And everything else um, is just a like, detail in the painting. It's just an accessory to the, uh, in the painting. It's not the, the journey down the middle. Wow. So you're in the muck. You're doing it now. You're, yeah. you're pushing it forward. Um, do you feel hopeful? Is there something specific you're hopeful about? Like, do you see? I feel very hopeful. Bec and, and in fact, if I didn't feel hopeful, I would, I would have given the keys over and, and just kind of wished everyone a good day, you know, because uh, it's a really, it's a really difficult gig. Um, but I feel very hopeful every, each and every day. I feel hopeful. I mean, look at this room. The, the, it, this five years ago just wouldn't have been a room full of people who are interested in tech and interested in uh, entrepreneurship. And it wouldn't, um, so that gives me hope that I've seen the change. It gives me hope every time I see one of the, our founders, our headliners. Um, I have a rule now that I am not allowed to cry. When I, well, you, I used to cry anytime I saw more than one in the same room together. I would just burst into tears, and I'm not very like emotional in that way. But I used to just burst into tears, and like, yeah. but that gives me hope because it's th that ringing of, do they? I was asked in 2000 and. 13 and 14 and 15, are there enough black people starting companies that you could actually like deploy this capital if we give it to you? I was asked this question by like adult humans. <laughs> like, and, and, then, and here's one that, are there enough women? Women, like half of the population. Are there enough women building qualified companies? that this could, money could go somewhere. And I'm like, no, only Jack and Billy and Bob, only those guys. They're the only ones to possibly Why figure out. did you out keep from slapping to, people? Oh, I didn't. There's still people <laughs> after me. There's some, no, I, I did that thing that you do on the TV shows where you have the moment where you see it 
you view you, you just like just just you take this part of your palm and any leverage you have is is 2x so i would do that and while i was doing it i would just stare at them and smile really hard and then i would come back and i would say okay yeah that's that's really obnoxious and ridiculous that you would say something like that let me tell you why that's ridiculous and then we'll keep going um, but yeah, anyway, so the hope comes from um, just what has already been manifested and knowing that um, even through like ups and downs, like we've had a lot of up, like a lot of downs, right? I, I'm a long view person. So I know that we have to go through this and do this and this and this, any, any founder would have to do that. Even through all of that, just knowing that the only, like truly the only way this doesn't work out in a po more positive way than where we started, it's, it's like mine to lose. Like I would have to develop the cocaine habit or I would have to get the ego out of this world. No offense to anyone who has cocaine habit, come on. <laughs> We're in Hollywood, I mean. I would, ha I would have to, um, it would have to be us our own downfall for that to happen. And that's like really exciting that the inertia and the momentum of what has been already built upon is so strong that the only thing that would, you know, because the, every founder that we've backed, they're working on amazing things. And the, there's just, um, there, you just can't take that away from us, you know? You can't, you can't rewrite history. That is out there in the world. And that, on its own, if we, if we never did anything else, that alone, I think, would, would be pretty magical. So I have that, that micro hope, and then in the macro hope, you see founders. I mean, even in the last seven days, there have been all these announcements of all these founders. Some of we were part of and some we weren't. I clap every time an underrepresented founder Underestimated. Under thank you. I will start using that. Um, <laughs> we have merch that has it on there, so I should say it more. An underestimated founder um, has any sort of win, you know, big or small. I, I'm on the sidelines clapping for them because that's that's the world. Like I want, I want to live in a world where an autonomous vehicle can see my black skin. And you know, so I'm I'm part of this because I I'm part of the world. I want to be, you know, contributing in my way to it. And so I'm very hopeful for what the future holds. So 130 founders out there that probably wouldn't have had the support they have. Some of them wouldn't have. Some of them would have. All of them would have figured something out. And I'm I'm honored to just have a you know a fingerprint on. Awesome. Well, let's open it up for questions to the audience. Is there somebody running around with a mic? Oh, yes, there's someone. If you don't ask, I will sing. It's 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 a threat and a promise. <laughs> there's a question there. Oh, I see. Go to you next. Hi there. Thank you so much for your talk. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Um, two questions. One is. Do your headliners have to be? I'm <laughs> using your terminology now. Very good. Have to be. Um, in the beginning, are they having a profit at their at their company? Are they startups? Do they have a certain ROI and so forth? 
It varies and it evolves. Okay. So the first 20 investments would have had a slightly different um, mandate than the next 20, just because of natural progression. The, the, bigger an the big answer is that no, there is no set amount or attraction that you'd have to have to be considered to be a, a, a headliner. And now through our accelerator, it's even more, um, it, it's even more open and kind of, uh, it's open and precise at the same time because you have uh, sort of a litmus test where people are testing against each other, but you, it, there's nothing that says like you have to have $10,000 MRR or something to, to be seen by us. We probably, because of the evolution, are not going to be able to support today a company that is just at the idea phase just because it's not our lane right now our lane is taking an early stage company that has gotten some traction on their own and helping to spin that up but that what that traction is still uh varies if that was okay it. so you don't need projections <laughs> right yeah okay. well we are we need so Traction, like it's like there's, it's like a, uh, I know a cup saying. that has to be full saying. of something, yes, right? So it, it. It, it needs, there needs to be some traction or this some moat that I you have it. that's so it. amazing yeah. that yeah, we can bypass. It. Okay, and then the second question is, because um, I was looking at your website, so is it typically like, um, so it can be a product or it can be intangible, like a method? Um, so we invest in tech-enabled. So companies. it's always tech. Tech-enabled company, okay. so it's like we have an investment in um, like a, a, a doll for children. Um, I, when Melanie comes up later, you'll see that hers is not a, a tech um, online tech uh, uh, company or product. Um, I think the way that you're asking the question tells me it's probably earlier, or if it's not earlier, it's maybe kind of something that you do that does well here or and you want to expand it something to that effect well there would be a there would be an online presence yeah, yeah. but i looked and it showed that there was one company that sends out text alerts the blue one the blue company anyway that's what i was curious if it was like a product oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. cuz i just i just don't yeah i just am familiar with it now so i didn't know if it was products or if it right. was right no it doesn't have to be a it doesn't have to be a physical when you say method i just imagine like yoga or something which oh, again yeah, no, may no. not be bad idea if you have a, if you have a website set up like, that's like the method like the 5 second rule you know the book yeah. that was in new york Mel times Robbins. best yeah. right so something like that being a method yeah so know. there's uh, we would look at it we would look at it and see where you were in it and how what you imagined it could be right. and, and where it was going to okay. have its reach for sure great thank you yeah no problem yeah. Yes. Thank you. Hey. Um, hi, Michael. Nice to meet you. Hey, Michael. Um, I wanted to know if, if you can run us back to, like, the five years ago when you were homeless and, like, then started building your fund. Like, I think that kind of got lost for sure. me. Sure, for sure. So it is a longer story. Um, there, are, there are a lot of things. So, it, you know, we won't get into it today, but you definitely, if you are interested, um, there's a lot that's been written about it. I'm writing a book. There are, I'm part of three different podcasts um, that we can, we'll talk about. Uh, I, I'll just say now, the first, your first million is the current podcast I have. Bootstrap VC is a two-year uh, podcast where I've told the story a few times. And then Gimlet um, startup series, 
last year I was the subject of it, and it tells the kind of the whole evolution of, of how and I got Those are all on Backstage Capital, right? Yeah, backstagecapital.com. You can learn more about that. Um, I was essentially wor- like living in, in Houston, Texas. I saw what I said I saw, and I was like, how do... I, I would like to invest in these companies, but I don't have any money myself. I have like a negative bank account. How do I do it? So I did like year, like just taught myself everything there was about venture capital because it was the only thing that I could see that was like, oh, you don't have to have like a certain degree for it or even a, reg- it's like a re- weirdly not regulated. Like I got in, like how, <laughs> um, but it's, so did they, you know what I mean? Um, and so I was like, well, one day I'll be an angel investor. Like I basically became a venture capitalist so I could one day be an angel investor, if you t- if you know the truth there. So I said one day I'll have my own money, but for now, what if I could just put together enough evidence that founders um, from different backgrounds and different profiles were a good business case, and then get other people who have money who don't necessarily have the access to those founders and under, make them understand that I would give them that access. Kind of like being like that kind of um, you know insider for them. And what I've come to understand is like being a scout, right? So that's how it started, and then it took a few years, but I would just reach out. I would just find, like if I saw something, if I saw a video with someone who was a venture capitalist, because I would just look up venture capitalists and I started teaching myself who these people were, I would just find a way to email them because I have been doing that my whole adult life, which is like if there's a tour manager that I wanted to work for, I would find their email. I would find their brother. I would find their sister. I I would get to them. And so I just did that. And I did it like obsessively where I would reach out to people. And the more time went by, the better, the more um, concrete and and concise my my story became. And some people were like, you know, like the, the odds were like I would send out 100, I would get 20 responses, I would get three conversations. And then that one would turn into a, a check. And that's like really been the same um, stats for everything that I've done. So I just did that over and over and over again. So the investors that, that you got for your fund to give to founders, uh, what's, the, what's the racial makeup there? Like what? The majority of them... If you go to our website, backstagecapital.com slash LPs, which stands for limited partners, LPs, plural, you'll see most of them are white men. And um, I was once called out on stage by a black man who was like, how are you going to have this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy? And I was like, write me a check. (laughs) You know, it's not like I'm not asking. And do you know what he did? Jamarlin Martin, he wrote me a check. Wow, awesome. And he has been amazing since then. But he, he called it out, and I was like, I've asked, I ask across the board. Yeah. And um, there, are more, there are more and more women that have been investing. And, uh, you is know, there like a lot of white guilt investing? And, and do you care? Is, I have different buckets, and yeah. some of it I won't. You know, there is that because it exists, but I. You know, I'm not going to, what I want, I don't mind, like, the, you're calling it white guilt, I'm not necessarily calling it that, but I don't mind the, someone thinking that they're, like, checking off a box, or they're relieving themselves of some sort of guilt, that's, f- that's fine, because we can have that conversation. What I won't do is be someone's cleanup person, so they have a bad reputation, 
and some way, and they think that by backing us and having a picture with me on Twitter, that's going to somehow absolve them of that. I won't do that. You know, if I can, you know, that that's just not what my, my job is for them. So I don't know if it's, um, I don't get as much white guilt. It's more like, um, it's more like, I want to be helpful, and I don't want to be yelled at, you know? Because, you know, you know, people are, are really quick to yell at people who are trying to, who ally wrong and um, are incorrectly. And so it's more about, like, if we can have a conversation, and I don't, you know, if you understand you're not the white knight, you're not coming in and saving the day, we're doing you a favor by giving you access to these founders. If we can make that understood, then... Yes. Where's that mic? Um, I just want to reference back. You said earlier to get people to dream with you in that project and work. So I'm really interested in um, were you able to really identify the people that were actually doing that um, specifically for for a project that is just so far out of bounds for people? I mean, it's damn near sci-fi for a lot of people to think that these type of founders exist oh. or doing those types of things. And I'm, I'm just really interested if you're yeah. able to do that. I mean, and first, I also said that the dream with you, I, Alfred Lynn from Sequoia is where I heard that first. Um, before I got a dime, I was working with the founders. So I had the receipts. I had the case studies in front of me. I had people they could go to and the, you know, it was, it was like I was translating. I was a translator for them because they may not understand why this, like, you know, you think about something like Maven Hair Care where um, Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz, which is a major venture fund, he has to go in a car with the black male founder across to Oakland to go to a beauty shop and look and see how the beauty products are laid out in the store to understand. And he's a, Ben is a white man, right? But how did you get him to do that no, to, I didn't do. I didn't do that. I, I'm just giving the example of being the translator. So you're. So ask me in a different way. What so, so, for example, with Maven, to get them to even take the meeting and the call and say, you know what, I'm going to be open to go and sit in the car and have this right, conversation right. So about that because that's kind of for a lot of people. Yes. That's a big block. I mean, especially if you're working on something that's just. I, I'll use for example something that's sci-fi to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They. They don't even want to open up the door because they're like, I don't know what that is, yeah. so no. And they, that's yeah. what you said, you got so that, that. So for sure. So that's where it go goes back to like, how much am I going to explain myself, my blackness, my womanness, my gayness? How much am I going to explain while why this isn't a charity case? The person next to me, um, you know, the founder next to me. Um, I I I I just look at it that that. It's not necessarily the case that everybody's closed off to it. So it's about like it's about finding like that magnet, finding the alignment with people. So that's why I don't spend and I didn't spend a ton of time on people who were who wouldn't have that wasn't my story, but who wouldn't have gotten in the car with me to go across, right? I found my people and it took a lot of do knocking on doors to find the ones who would be that ally or who would who would open up their minds like my first investor ever, <clears throat> Susan Kimberlin a white woman, angel investor in San Francisco, and she didn't. She had the barrier of not understanding what venture capital was, so we had. I had to like educate her. She's a millionaire. I had no money, and I had to 
have a little faith of if I can just educate her on the foundational and maybe I can get her across the line. But I, the reason I was willing to do that is because I saw that glimmer of she wants to do something. She, she's um, w willing. So if she hadn't had that glimmer, why, w why waste the time, in my view? Like, why even do that? So I don't think you, I don't think you, you, you spend that 80% energy on people who you're trying to convince to get you. You spend that 80% uh, on the people who, who, give, who come a little towards you first. And the rest of them can sit on the sidelines and watch you win. All right, we have to uh, stop now. Okay. Arlen, thank you. Yes. You're awesome. Thank you. You're thank you. making changes at infrastructure of not just Silicon Valley, but it radiates out into the world, all these yeah. founders doing Thanks, things. Everybody. Thank you so much. And um, so the last thing we do, as you know, we're uh, Howl for Change, and we have a vision of a world of wolves howling for social good and positive change. Okay. So we want everybody to howl with us. Okay. Will you howl with us? Will everybody howl with us? All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. Ow! Ow! That's our howl. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you, Arlen. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time for How for Change. And until then, follow us on social media at How for Change. Download the How for Change app, both for iOS and Android, and show us how you're making a difference in the world. Thank you.